Hello, I'm Chris Moon, a fellow artist manager, and I will be your guide through tough love, adventures, and artist management. In this episode, we had the pleasure of chatting with Michelle Capel, founder of Panache Management. Panache started out as a zine, which led Michelle into promoting shows locally, then booking shows on a national scale, and then eventually into artist management, working with artists such as Mac DeMarco, Ty Siegel, and King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard. We chat about Michelle's series of pivots and how they were more of an evolution than a shift in direction and the many elements that tie it all together. I hope you get as much out of this conversation as I did. Let's get started. Hi, my name's Michelle Cable and I own two companies, Panache Management and Panache Booking. And with those two companies, I work with artists like Mac DeMarco, King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard, Bikini Kill, Ty Siegel, Rodrigo Amarante, Spelling, the OCs, Aldous Harding, and, um, and many others. Yeah. Thanks, Michelle, for taking the time to chat. Appreciate yeah, it. Happy to be here. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. I've been actually looking forward to this conversation because our topic, by and large, has been around pivots and, you know, anchored around artist management. Um, but I've always, I don't know, I had an epiphany when I was managing full on and had several artists where at one point I was like, why didn't I become an agent? Like you get to work with so many, you get to spread your risk across so many more clients in that sense. Um, and you're taking 10% of that one revenue stream versus 15, 20% of various revenue streams. I don't know. It just, I just remember, um, really, and, and so much of, uh, the industry revolves around live performance and touring, um, the work of an agent. Uh, and of course that's never been more apparent, uh, in the shifts and balances of that over the last year with the pandemic. But, um, I'm really interested and excited to hear about the arc of your own kind of personal career. Um, and, but before we even get into the agent component, uh, and how that kind of morphed and evolved into management, uh, as I understand it, you started out, um, more on the editorial side as starting a zine, correct? Yes, that is correct. I am started a zine also called Panache when I was, I was probably 15 and the first issue came out maybe when I was 16. And yeah, I lived in a small town in Northern California, Eureka, California and Humboldt County. And yeah, it was really kind of bored and loved music and, you know, loved meeting new people. And the best way to kind of put those two things together was to go to shows. And I started this scene so I could, you know, interview bands and get to know bands that were touring through, but then also bands locally too, because there was a really vibrant music scene at the time when I was um, going up, growing up there and going to shows. So that's kind of where I got my start, you know, doing interviews and also just writing funny little, you know, pieces on local restaurants and we reviewed bathrooms and all other sorts of <laughs> exciting things, you know, in, in the, in the Redwoods, you know, there's, there's a lot of, um, I don't know, there's a lot of kind of mysterious things that we kind of played around with, um, in the magazine too. But yeah, I got my start there and then that kind of led to me promoting shows locally mm. because I wanted to organize events for the magazine release parties. So we would have these and the magazine was free, the zine slash like magazine, because it kind of became more of a magazine than a zine. But at first it was photocopied and like hand collated. I would stay up at night like stapling and folding it with a friend. Um and like when I was 16. But so I started organizing 
release parties for the magazine. And that led to me promoting shows locally. And I began promoting three or four shows a week sometimes up there at the age of like 16, 17, 18, probably more after I was 18. Yeah. And I brought bands that I interviewed back and also just kind of became recognized as, you know, like the person to contact when you wanted to go through, you know, go to San Francisco, to Portland, go up through the, you know, the 101 highway. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was a couple other promoters that I would work with too. And we would collaborate on shows and yeah, and that's kind of like where I got my start, but that was sort of how I like forayed into, um, from writing, which was always mm-hmm. something I'd love to do pre Panache and then moved into the live show circuit. But that it all started as a, as me being a local promoter in um, Eureka and Arcata in Humboldt County. Yeah, that's, that's great. I mean, that's such a, a great crash course for pretty much everywhere you've gone, I think, in your career. I mean, promoting shows is, especially in a small knit community, off the beaten path a little bit, you know, I'm sure presents its own challenges, uh, but also allowed you probably to create a community, you know, kind of tied together between the zine and the, uh, and the live shows and events. Um, yeah, kind of probably, I would imagine, gave a, a little bit of a window insight to what promoting on a national level, or rather booking as an agent on a national level could be, like the ideal um, promoter you'd be looking for, you know, as an agent, somebody that's really proactive and knows their community. Totally. And that's why as a as a booking agent, you know, after I stopped promoting shows locally, I, you know, really wanted to give those young kids an opportunity that we're promoting at sort of more of DIY venues or at smaller, in smaller mm-hmm. towns. And, and when I was promoting shows locally in Humboldt, I also was still doing the zine. So I was distributing it through all those people I was meeting through shows and stuff. So I kind of through the bands I was meeting, creating this network of um, distribution, like my own DIY distribution across the country, which was really cool. Cause the magazine, it's been so long now, but it grew from 400 copies to, I think the max was 40,000. It's been a while since I talked about it. So I think, um, but yeah, it grew over the years um, from, you know, something very small to something a lot larger. And, you know, we always kept it free. And then eventually that network of people I was using to distribute the magazine became the people that I also used to kind of figure out okay, how am I going to first route tours for bands? Like, who should I talk to in this city? Who should I talk to in, in this city? And, um, you know, and a, back then when I was doing this, you know, I'm talking about like probably like early, like 2000s, uh, you know, everything was phone calls. And, mm-hmm. you know, you wouldn't know if a show might be canceled when a band showed up because, you know, there wasn't the sort of internet frenzy that there is now. And, you know, you know, some, someone knows something before the band even knows it, if they're looking online before the band does. <laughs> right. And, but, but back then, you know, I was yeah routing tours in a notebook and, um, starting to yeah, really figure out my circuit. I had like a little Rolodex of the people I would contact and, um, but yeah, it was very, very DIY in the beginning. And especially with like how I was working with bands, like tour books and word, you know, <laughs> when there was a tour book, it was, yeah, it was, it was really interesting to think back on how it all got started and, and the people that helped along the way. But um, yeah, eventually it, I, you know, when I moved to San Francisco from Eureka, which is, you know, five hours, Eureka's five hours north of San Francisco, I was 21. And I didn't plan on promoting shows in the Bay Area either, because I kind of figured everyone that lived, that wanted to play in the Bay Area would have promoters they wanted to use. Mm-hmm. But 
I was surprised because a lot of people wanted to start using me as a promoter in the Bay Area that had used me as a promoter in Humboldt. So, and they just trusted me and they liked my enthusiasm and dedication to um, getting people out to shows. So I kind of ended up promoting shows in the Bay Area for the four years I was there as well. Oh, that's great. Yeah, I kind of had a a similar path um, in a sense when I was in Nashville in the late 90s, early 2000s. There was a certain artist that I wanted to see come through that I you know, just never did. So I just kind of started calling agents up and kind of begging for shows, uh, you know, and eventually got a handful of them and, and tried to work it out. I remember trying to, to, in the late 90s, trying to start an email list, you know, with just the clientele <laughs> that would come to these shows. Uh, and it was like pulling teeth. But, um, you know, back then, not dissimilar to, you know, obviously you had your, your media outlet with the zine, but I remember just trying to get the weekly to write about a show that made all the difference. You know, that was the difference in breaking even and having a crowd or, you know, trying to kind of pull people out of the woodwork to come out. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's a promoting is a, a thankless job and it's a hard one to, to crack into to begin with. But once you establish those relationships and, and people know you're doing it from a, a place of good and, and, um, uh, personal interest, uh, I, I can see why they gravitated uh, towards working with you even when you went to San Francisco. So how did you get into this booking bands? Was it a matter of some of the ones that uh, were on the local side wanting to kind of fan out or just some of the bands you booked or as a promoter brought in eventually and then created relationships with? Well, I feel like the first the first tour that I actually booked was a band from Eureka and, you know, they just wanted to go up North to the Northwest. So I think I booked a few shows, um, but it wasn't, it wasn't really anything more extensive than that. But when I moved to San Francisco, um, a few of the local bands there, this band called the Shantigs that I met through um, promoting them in Northern California. And then um, this other band who at the time were called Kung Fu USA. And they later became a band in New York called um, Shell Shag, but they lived in the Bay area too. They started asking me to kind of help put together shows for them too. And um, so, yeah, it would just piece together dates for, um, you know, these artists using that network of people I'd met through promoting shows, doing the zine and um, yeah, and books like little like West Coast tours. And then I feel like everything kind of and while, while I was doing all this, I was working like odd, you know, like odd jobs. I was working at a, like a retro sneaker store in the Mission in San Francisco at the time. And, and that store eventually like went out of business. And while that process was happening. Um, I would say like the really big move for me to kind of move from, this is like something I'm just doing on the side, you know, trying to make it a career, but also still having to manage a, a, you know, another job, um, Mm -hmm. not in music. I, um, the, the band that I was working with who had become shell shag, um, this, um, duo in, uh, the Bay area, they, asked me if they could hire me to book them for the whole year and they would pay me like um, a a salary um, somewhat. I think it was like 1500 bucks a month um, (laughs) to book them like the whole year. And so what began as, you know, kind of like this, okay, let's see what I can do for them kind of led to me being able to do a booking agency. And I, I think I booked them 17 times in New York in a few weeks. Like they, they just did like a New York residency, but like literally played almost every day in New York. (laughs) And I worked with that promoter, Todd P in New York. He booked a bunch of the shows. Um, but I booked them all around the country. And back then it was so important to kind of continually revisit the cities that you develop fans in, because that's what they Mm -hmm. did. That's what a lot of these bands did when I was booking shows in Humboldt County is they would just keep coming back every few months and your audience grows and grows and grows. 
because there wasn't the internet and there wasn't like streaming services and like social media to kind of like push your fan base and grow your fan base. Um, you know, so the organic way was to just keep going back to these towns. And so, yeah, they just zigzagged around the country for a whole year. And I am, you know, flew to New York and went to the New York shows with them. It was my first time in New York. And then we kind of ended the whole like year of touring in Japan. Um, and we did a tour in Japan that I booked with this other band that I had started working with that I'd met through, um, some folks that I, um, who I met through actually John from the OCs when he was in another band. Um, so yeah, it's interesting because all these people I worked with in some capacity, 15 to 20 years ago, a lot of them I still am in touch with or work with yeah. in another capacity today, which is really neat. Um, and you never know, you never know like the people that you meet when you're 16 or 17, like, like where you'll be with them, you know, two or two decades later. And, uh, this band DMBQ though, had asked me to help them and they're from Japan, this psychedelic rock band. And I, um, yeah, became friends with them, started booking them in the States. And then they helped book this tour for, for shell shag in Japan. And mm. that all kind of became very important because DMBQ were the first band that I worked with that brought sort of more, um, national attention, like South by Southwest had heard I was helping them come to the States and reach out to me. And we're like, we've been trying to get this band to come to Austin, would you bring oh, them yeah. to Austin? And that led me to booking my first like panache showcase with DMBQ mm -hmm. at South by Southwest. Um, and that changed everything for me because I brought other bands, Shellshag and some other bands from the Bay Area that were pretty small to Austin. And then I did a, my own panache showcase, like I think 17, probably like maybe, yeah, like 15 or 17 times in a row, like every year. And it just grew yeah. and grew and grew. And, uh, but DMBQ, was this artist that really allowed me to kind of get more like internet or na national recognition where a lot of people were like, Oh, I want to bring them here and here and here. And so they kind of helped. It was one of the first bands um, in addition to Shellshag that kind of helped grow what I was doing to this sort of next level. And, and, you know, from there, there's just like little, little milestones that kind of changed mm -hmm. the arc of what I was doing and, and how I did it. And, um, you know, I, I was still doing the zine at that time. And I, I kept doing that until I was um, in a car accident with um, when, when I was tour managing DMBQ. Because at the same time oh, as wow. doing all this, you know, I was promoting shows, running a zine, being a booking agent, but also jumping in the van with some of these bands and tour managing, which I think was really helpful for me because I got to see what bands experience while on the mm -hmm. road. And so I could meet promoters, see what the venues are like, get to know what it's like to do a six or eight hour drive, you know, right, load out, right. play the show, leave the next day. I don't know. It was really, it was like a crash course. For a couple of years, I kind of did a crash course in touring and I wasn't mm -hmm. booking as many artists as I work with today. So I was able to kind of be on the road and work from the road and, and, and do that, you know, cause I didn't have any other job that like Panache had become my, my job and uh, my career. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it was really, it was really fascinating to get to see, you know, kind of how it worked and get to know the promoters along the way. And, and I think more so it should be probably emphasized more now, but back then as getting to know people in person was such a right you know integral part of it you know i think i forged a lot of long-lasting relationships from from doing that like going on the road with dmbq and shellshag and some other artists yeah i mean it's yeah you bring up a good point it's not only have we evolved to a society where <laughs> for the most part email is the form of communication you know uh phone calls I guess they're secondary and now video calls, but the idea of seeing people in person is probably muted largely due to not only technology, but also the pandemic. But 
I mean, in creating, to your point though, in creating lasting relationships and gaining that experience, um, that's, uh, that's challenging, I imagine nowadays. And for, for folks in your position as a 16 or 18 year old, you know, cutting their teeth and trying to figure out a path for themselves, uh, career wise. Um, some of my favorite managers were tour managers at one point, <laughs> you know, cause it's like, that's talk about a, you know, kind of boot camp crash course. I mean, you get to meet everybody, you get to see it all. You, you get to see exactly what an artist has to deal with on a day-to-day level from touring, you know, and the toll that takes and, um, the kind of person you have to be in order to kind of manage that, uh, emotionally and mentally, uh, all those things are, are, are really challenging. Um, so, and I'm sorry to hear you had a, a car accident in the midst of all that. I'm sure that was traumatic and challenging in and of itself. Yeah, that was, it was, you know, it was definitely one of those moments in my, um, you know, timeline of, you know, my life of that just, you know, changed everything for me. And, and, uh, you know, and unfortunately, um, you know, the drummer of the band of DMBQ China, who also had played with Shona Knife passed away and mm. I'd broken my neck back. Um, you know, had a, it took me months to recuperate. And I wow. think it, uh, you know, it changed my whole perspective, my whole frame of reference on like what I was doing and, and how I was doing it. And I, um, you know, like I definitely changed as a human being from that. And then also changed like how I approached, you know, everything I did with, with work and life. But, you know, at, at that time, um, you know, with someone else's, you just, unfortunately someone else hit us on the road and you know, that the, the accident occurred. But at that time I'd been doing a lot, you know, physically distributing a magazine and, you know, 40,000 copies was a lot to distribute at that time. Yeah. Like it would li- literally be like two tons of paper being delivered to my apartment and then we would distribute them and I'd help box them all up. So I kind of decided, you know, when that all happened, like physically healing from a broken neck back, this isn't, this isn't what I want to be doing now. I mm. can work doing a booking agency from my computer and talk to people on the phone. And, you know, and most artists, even though I was recuperating, stuck around and, and kept me as their agent. And so I just um, recuperated on the East Coast for a little bit and then went back to the Bay Area where I was living and then just focused fully on the booking agency and um, and put the magazine on hold. And, and later, years later, I released one more issue when I was in um, living in New York, which was which was really fun to do. But then and then but then otherwise it hasn't been released. Uh, but I, yeah, I just completely threw myself into the booking agency instead of um kind of spreading myself, you know, too thin and, and kind of stopped tour managing at that point too. And, you know, just did something that I can do kind of more like remotely uh, or like from home, but just on a computer and with, with, you know, at that point, internet was a big part of what I was doing in emails. You could do a lot from emails and didn't physically have to be there. The shifted around. This is like early, like 2004, 2005. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that, that led me to kind of focus on that and, um, you know, change my perspective on things, you know, I think the worst, I kind of went through the worst thing that could probably happen on, on tour. And so it, it definitely puts things in perspective. Um, it, you know, it changes how you approach, you know, routing a tour to, and, you know, even though it wasn't our fault, you just, you know, you just want to make sure everything's really safe. And, you know, if you, mm-hmm. if you're late to a show, it's okay. It's not the end of the world. You know, if you miss a show, you know, things, you know, things happen, but, um, yeah. And it, and it, and it brought me closer to a lot of people in my life that I was, that I was working with at the time too. So, you know, I kind of took that moment and kind of trying to channel it into, you know, you know, strength and a new perspective on him on life, you know, moving forward and, you know, and, 
And that was powerful. Yeah, that's a that's a hard um that's the word I'm looking for, really. A hard realization, I guess, you know. Um when you're young, you can like juggle like three or four full-time jobs, which it sounds like what, what you were doing, <laughs> you know, up to that point. Um, but yeah, when you go through something like that, you have to look for, I guess, uh, some sort of silver lining or adjustment or, you know, maybe a bit of a path, you know, that's more sustainable and, uh, a, you know, gives you focus and, and maybe meaning in a different way. Um, so no, that that's, that, I'm sorry you went through that, but I'm, I'm glad you were able to find you know, some soul is coming out of that and focus, uh, on, on the agent side of things. Well, what, le- what led you through Thank that you. component to begin to manage? I mean, I actually hearing your story, I can see where, you know, working with local bands and uh, as a promoter and then as an agent, you probably had strong relationships with several artists. Was it just a natural evolution of, Oh, I really, care for what this person is doing in their craft and and career and want to guide it and, you know, jumping into that kind of full tilt or how did that evolve? Yeah, totally. You're, you're exactly right. I mean, I think, I think when you work in an industry like the music industry, there's a lot of people that always take on different roles, wear different hats. Mm -hmm. You may not be technically this position, but you do this position, you know, like when I was promoting shows locally, I was, sending out press releases, you know, to like venues, finding out press contacts in certain cities and then sending out my own press release, acting as my own publicist. You know, I started doing my own festivals, you know, did a boat cruise festival, like kind of dabbled in all these different things that I wanted to see, like, do I like this? Do I like this? You know? And, and, um, I think those, you know, like, I mean, it makes sense because I started doing anything in music because I love music, but I also loved the story behind, you know, the artist, the musician, like what, you know, what inspires them, like what motivates them, like, where are they from? Like, you know, like their whole history. So with everyone I've worked with on our roster, you know, like I've definitely gotten really close to, to everyone or most everyone and they become family. And, you know, and so you, as a booking agent that, you know, had gotten close to a lot of our artists, there are certain artists that, you know, kind of just needed more help with certain things. And a lot of the artists I work with kind of were from, you know, the early stages of their career or the very beginning of their career, like onwards. And so certain artists just didn't, you know, they didn't have most, everyone I worked with didn't have a manager at the time. And so there was just stuff that I started doing kind of as like a de facto manager for, for people. And the first um, real official capacity that I was doing that in was with Ty Siegel. And I'd been helping Ty out, you know, in a lot of extra ways outside of booking and had gotten really close to Ty and his band. And you know, I think he brought it up, you know, he brought it up one day to me, like a few years into us working together. And, you know, we just decided to kind of give it a go and see how it went. And, um, you know, kind of asked him what he was looking for in a manager. And, you know, and so I started, you know, with Ty managing him together, like with him, you know, he was kind of like co-manager, kind of like co-pilots with me on his mm-hmm. career. And that, um, that was, you know, that was a really like big monumental step for me because in an official capacity, I got to help an artist outside of the booking realm. And, you know, with every aspect of his career, I think it was when we were sending goodbye bread around to labels to share his record with um, new labels because he was looking to sign to a different label at the time. And that's when he met Drake City. And, um, you know, that, that that was really fun for me to explore this other side of the music industry. And I feel like um, definitely the live show aspect as a booking agent 
is so important for an artist. It's like kind of one of their most sustainable parts of their career. It's like where artists make Mm -hmm. some of the most money. It's where they like promote, you know, what they're doing to their fans and most sell a ton of records and merch. But um, also when you're a manager, you're way more integral in their career because you're, you know, involved in every aspect of it. And, um, you know, it's like a, it's a just more encompassing relationship and, you know, and I really loved doing it. And then I think it was like a, just a couple of years later when I was working with Mac DeMarco, who I'd started working with at the start of his career as Mac DeMarco, um, you know, I think a year into me working with Mac, he found out I was managing Ty and he'd been, you know, kind of starting to do the manager hunt because everyone in his, you know, career, kind of thought he would need a manager. And I've been working with him as a booking agent already. And he um, he didn't like a lot of the people that he was being introduced to as managers. And there was actually the night that he he played with Ty at Webster Hall in, in New York. And um, he asked me if I, um, like, why I wouldn't do it instead. <laughs> and, uh, and I was like, yeah, I mean, I, I would love, you know, I'd love to. I just was trying to let you do your thing, you know, like, and, right. you know, I work with you in this capacity already. And I was still only managing Ty. So I didn't really feel like I was, officially like running a management company. And so Mac and I had a several, several conversations, um, about what he was looking for and what I thought I could help him with. And, um, you know, and I think the rest is history, you know, like he, (laughs) you know, like uh, Mac is somebody who kind of really embraced me as being his manager and helping out with all, all things in his career. And he was in a different place than I think, um, you know, Ty, wanted to be with just wanting to do like kind of go out and do a little more. And so, you know, Mac, you know, did kind of give me the next crash course in like management um, after, you know, like my initial steps with Ty. And so it was cool. I was working with both of them and then it just kind of naturally evolved into me taking on other clients. You know, I started helping out King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard with North American management and now managing them um, worldwide. And, and then, you know, I kind of slowly started to grow the roster because I really, the management roster I grew because I, you know, I really love um, the impact I can have as a manager and especially with the pandemic when people aren't touring and aren't being able to play, you know, it's a really hard time to be um, a booking agent or a promoter right now as, you know, as well as a band that's trying to tour on the road. And so over the last couple of years, I've definitely kind of um, really focused a lot more of my energy in the management side of the company too, and took on other artists like Jess Cornelius, um, Spelling, and and the Murlocs. And a few years before that, I'd taken on Rodrigo Amarante, and so kind of have put together, you know, like a, a really like diverse group of artists that I'm managing, and then also, you know, still running the booking agency and you know, and working with a lot of artists that I still do help a lot of with a lot of extra things, but not in that official management capacity. But um, it's, yeah, it's cool to have the two, the two companies and get to like meet different types of people now with the management side, you know, I've done Mm -hmm. the promoter festival circuit, you know, for like 20 years now and traveled around the world as a delegate talking about the booking agency to, you know, and and signing new bands internationally. And, um, you know, I did that, for a long time. And now it's, it's cool to kind of, you know, helping Mac and Gizzard run their labels, you know, so working as like a label manager for both of their labels, because right. they run their own labels now through their own distros or through a distro. Um, but it's, yeah, it's fun. I just get to like teach myself new things every day as, as, and which is very different than when you've been doing something like touring, booking touring shows for, you know, I'm really like I've been doing it for 20 years. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I, I feel very comfortable in that world, even though COVID is definitely, 
you know, created a whole new twist on how that is, yeah, how that is approached. Um, yeah. So that's kind of like how it was like, it was pretty organic, you know, like mm-hmm. definitely like slowly, slowly evolving. And I am, you know, um, running both companies, you know, and there is a lot of overlap with some stuff. So it, you know, like it, it's, it's, it's manageable. And, um, you know, but I feel like I'm, I'm getting to learn a lot more with management now. And that's kind of keeping me, um, just like inspired every day with, you know, like as new developments in each artist's career happen and are you going to work on this new project or this, you know, and it's fun. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the one thing I've always found about the industry. And one of the things I love about management to your point is that there's so many facets of it that you can't, you know, you can't know all of it (laughs) and you can't have experienced all of it. Um, but, uh, it, it keeps you on your toes. You get to get to learn a whole lot, uh, through, through the process, maybe more than, uh, if you're siloed in, in other areas of the industry. Um, yeah, the other thing I always found difficult, um, or can be at least for, for managers is, you know, you'd mentioned, you know, Mac talking to various people, uh, and exploring that relationship potentially, that's really hard to do at a certain point in your career and know, engage, because it's such an intimate relationship, right? You know, you're really talking mm-hmm. about building a team ultimately and rounding it out. Uh, and the fact that you were there and able to, to fill that role as well um, kind of speaks to, I think, the encouragement and need for artists to, um, you know, really rely on on the existing relationships and opportunities, you know, to kind of build on those as opposed to, you know, looking for outside influence to, I don't know, change things up or fix things when the reality of it is, I mean, most artists should, most artists that have a certain level of success and, or have a good lasting career, have a pretty good understanding of who they are and kind of where they want to go. They just need a partner, somebody to, you know, really bounce things off of. And I think some of my relationships with artists and with agents in particular, I find those to be some of the strongest partnerships, especially early on in an artist's career. Like they're just so crucial to, you know, you were mentioning just the the various kind of uh, aspects of what live performance brings for an artist, you know, playing in front of an audience and winning them over and building them as you come back. And, and even the merch capacity of like, there's no, there's really no truer uh, show of fandom than, you know, wearing someone's merch and trying to be an advocate and all that, is, is kind of through lined, you know, in, in a way. Um, and, and it's, uh, it's interesting how I, I just love how your career kind of started there from a very honest place, you know, writing about artists, booking artists, developing the zine, spreading it out, then, you know, having that experience on the road and then eventually seeing it evolve into management. It's like, you're really supporting holistically artists in a way that, uh, is kind of, pretty unique, I would say, in the industry, um, in a lot of ways. Um, and kind of, I think shows a different, shines a different light, I guess, on, on what it means to be a manager and, and really support artists, uh, across the board. So I, I think that's fantastic. You've been able to balance all that in, in, in the way that you have and grow it and, and do it not only for, you know, your artists and their careers, but for yourself and your own career. Totally. It's been, it's been really rewarding and it's been so nice to see the people I work with 
stay true to themselves and what, how they want to do, you know, Mm -hmm. their career, their ethos and, you know, be able to buy houses and support themselves financially and find security and, you know, industry that's always evolving and, and very volatile and, and not really reliable sometimes, especially now. And, you know, so that, that's been really rewarding and to be, you know, to know that I was able to be part of that, you know, is, is huge, you know, Mm -hmm. and I am, yeah. And I, there's a lot of younger artists, or more emerging artists that I'm friends with that, you know, I don't even work with in any capacity that sometimes come to me for advice. And, you know, they're, everyone's always wondering if they should get a manager at this point in their career, at this point in their career. And I just definitely have, you know, advised them that, you know, until they fight the right, find the right person, the wrong person mm-hmm. can do so much more damage than just doing it yourself. And when you're doing things yourself, you definitely learn along the way, like how you want things done, you understand what people actually are doing. And, you know, the, the, you know, like I'm representing the artist I work with. And so the way I communicate is, you know, sending a message about them to, you know, like mm-hmm. the music industry. And so if you have the wrong person communicating on your behalf and trying to do something and, and it, and it ends up being really bad or like how, not how you want your career being represented, you know, it can, ha- it can, it can ruin your career. And so I think, a lot of people think, oh, if I build my team so fast, it's just going to be what I need, but, you know, it can be detrimental. And so, you know, I think everyone has to really be cautious of when they um, agree to work with someone and who it is and, you know, you know, ask around, feel out people, you know, and ask the people that you're currently trusting in your team, like their thoughts and opinions, because most people, especially if they're working with an artist, there's a reason that they are, um, you know, like working with that artist and they want to encourage them to like find, you know, the best like support system possible. Right. Yeah. That's such a good point. Um, you know, it's hard enough to choose the right people <laughs> to partner with. Uh, but the the flip side of that is quite often, if you just try to fill that void, you know, as a, an immediate need, um, it can do more harm than good in the long run. Um, yeah. I mean, it's hard, hard to know that in the moment, I guess, but I think, you develop those instincts as you go, uh, and, and probably patience helps with that more than urgency in those circumstances. Um, totally. uh, the, the other thing I really love about, um, agents is they seem because of maybe, you know, going back to the, the comment I made earlier about being able to kind of spread your risk across several artists where, you know, management is such an intense relationship for most people, you know, sounds like a lot of your artists are, are very engaged in their careers. And I think most artists are nowadays, but it's like, you, you know, there's only so much bandwidth and headspace, you know, if you're trying to do it from a creative place, I'm sure most people can handle, um, being involved with, um, but one of the things I really love about agents is that they seem to have the ability to tap into and see something uh, in the very early components of their um, development and career, you know, and you can see also if it's resonating uh, in a way. I mean, yeah, you can, you can look at the, I guess the metrics online from streaming or social follows or whatnot, but that doesn't necessarily mean that's going to generate a career, right? <laughs> you know, but if you see, you know, somebody in play in front of 200 people totally. and those 200 people light up and get really excited, then there's something to be said for that. And, you know, there's a decent chance you can replicate that over time and build on it in, in other markets. Uh, and that can be meaningful long-term. Um, I just, I, I miss, or I guess I have a hard time kind of like seeing where other 
areas of the industry have that kind of insight, you know, to see something on the ground level as much as agents do. Um, your, your comment about, you know, the fact that a lot of your uh, artists on the agent side probably don't have management. That's probably a good thing at a certain point in your career because you're probably getting them engaged super early on, um, you know, to some degree. But uh, I, I just, I don't know. When I go to look for new music, you know, I mean, everybody has their own kind of uh, touch points, um, but I, I I love looking at a roster at a favorite club and see who's playing and see who's opening for some certain artist. And I love looking at and following agents that I admire and seeing who they're bringing aboard early on and really, you know, putting some faith in because that, that stamp of approval, uh, even in an early point in a career, you know, uh, can be meaningful. Uh, and usually it's something you totally. listen to and you're probably going to want to follow, you know, and pay attention to. Yeah. I mean, I, I remember those, it was when I first started promoting shows, it was such a f- exciting moment when you're like discovering a band live, you know, and there's only, you know, like maybe only a handful of people watching, but it's such a, like, this is my, like, you know, like this is such a cool discovery and it's something that's so new and, you know, it's mm-hmm. just, this like really fulfilling experience. And, you know, that was when I was just like a fan, you know, and now getting to be part of that process of like, okay, this, I want to share this, you know, with other people. And, you know, like when you're, you know, you can tell, especially, you know, with agents, yeah. Yeah. And managers, but yeah, when someone's a really big cheerleader for the artists they work with and you can kind of take that, you know, person from this really small place and, you know, put them in front of someone and really like see the magic happen. And it, it's, you know, it's like one of the best feelings when you're like, oh, you need to go see this band, you need to go see this band, you take your friend to go see this band, and then you see their like eyes light up when they get to experience that, you know, in person. And yeah, like, mm-hmm. I think, uh, you know, I know, I know there's a lot of artists now that don't really perform as much live, not even like even pre COVID, you know, there's some people that it's more about the recording and, um, you know, just videos and stuff, but that, um, especially for most of the type of music I work in, that live show experience is, is so important for like connecting you know, with an audience and like sustaining that connection. And I think, you know, like an artist like King Gizzard, who I work with, that's like one of the, the reasons yeah. they've been able to like really like grow their fan base to this like, you know, this really like kind of like fanatical, like in, insane, you know, way is, is um, through their live shows, they've really connected with their audience and now through like merch and their own like Gizverse. And yeah, it's just, it, you know, it's, it, it's such an important factor in, um, the music experience like so i think it's really important that um yeah we navigate this through covid and figure out like how to kind of have these in-person experiences that are safe for people and you know artists and fans and it's happening um but it's definitely something that i've missed over the last you know year and a half and a lot of a lot of you know like what i have done in my career was about connecting with people and doing the south by southwest showcases that i did over the years was such a even though it was exhausting was such a monumental moment when you get like 15 artists you work with together and the Mm. room is sold out and everyone's like having such a great time and you kind of were like this is what i've worked for to see everyone on tour and like celebrating that it's a success and you know and and getting to see it in the faces of all the people that you work with and um you know a a lot of that and or most of that in-person stuff for me especially um because I've been really strict during the pandemic because I have a small child as well. Like I, you know, like, you know, I haven't, I haven't, you know, I haven't experienced that, but you know, I, but I've gotten to connect with a lot of people on the phone and, and a lot of the artists I manage are in LA. So I've been able to see a few people, but you know, like I know that that's what fans are have really been missing. And that when they go to shows now, they're like, this might not be something I can do in a month. So they're really kind of like fully immersing 
themselves <laughs> into that experience, which is which yeah. is cool to, to hear about. Yeah, I agree. It's a, it's a it's a very emotional and awkward time. It's better than where we were a year ago, <laughs> for obvious reasons. But there's this tr- tr- transition, yeah, and it's also I think. I think there's a, a realization, I guess, of this is kind of where we're at at this point. You know, it's not going to be a clean, everyone's vaccinated, everything's fine. There aren't COVID cases. There aren't that, there isn't that concern. I, the one thing I love about the the touring live industry um, is I, I think at this point in time, you know, we're talking mid-September. Uh, so we're right on the cusp of the fall. I live in the Midwest, so it's going to be here soon. So the fact that we're figuring this out now, why everyone can be outdoors and we can start doing indoor shows, you know, relatively successfully, hopefully will pave the path for this to continue through the winter in, you know, the fall and the winter into the spring. So hopefully we'll bridge that gap between say, you know, October, November to February, March, where, you know, we can stay active as an industry and continue to have artists play live and safe uh, capacities and have fans come out. Um, Because next year I'm sure we'll hopefully be further along. Uh, it'll be a safer environment for everybody involved and it'll be less of a choice of, you know, to your point, I was talking to a friend of mine, uh, a manager, and he was like, yeah, I was going to go see my morning jacket last weekend, but you know, he's got a a young kid, seven year old, isn't vaccinated. And he's like, that would be great. But is that the most responsible thing to do? You know? Um, and I get it, you know, I totally appreciate that, uh, aspect of it. You know, we're finding, ourselves pausing on for personal reasons, you know, in ways that maybe we want it as a fan. Uh, but as an industry, I think, you know, I'm grateful that we're finding a path forward and hopefully, you know, setting a stage a little bit. I look around at, you know, other industries, whether it's restaurant industries, movie theaters, performing arts, you know, whatever. It's like, yeah, you know, some of this stuff, orchestras, I mean, some of these folks need to figure this out too. And hopefully we can kind of pave a path for them, you know, and get people more engaged with engaging with arts in a, in a general sense through a pandemic in a way that's safe and sound. Uh, And also allow, you know, folks like yourself and other managers and other artists carve out a bit of a living, you know, uh, and practice their craft in a way that's safe and also connecting uh, to artists. It's such an interesting interesting time when you think about all the advancements of technology mirrored with what I think coming out of this will be maybe a renewed interest in that connection, that like real life connection point, you know, kind of going back to your comment earlier about being on the road tour managing gave you a a chance to meet all these other promoters and, and see what it's like to be on the road, uh, day in, day out. It's like, you can't really replace that with a live stream. It's not n- nearly the same <laughs> as, you know, yeah, so it's the, like you have to yeah, get exactly. out there. You know, you have to have those totally. connections. Um, I'm going to see my first purposeful live show this weekend. And uh, I, I'm expecting it to be fairly emotional. Like, yeah, you know, obviously you've probably had that moments when you're younger where it's like, oh my God, this is amazing, you know? And then you're, you get into the industry, you're out on the road and you see your favorite band for like the 18th time. And it doesn't necessarily resonate the same way anymore you know, you almost, you get, you get a, a level of comfortability or maybe even numbness to what you're experiencing because it's not as special as it was the first time. And that's another kind of like silver lining, the pandemic. I'm really hoping not only for myself, but for other people, when you go and see live music, 
when you haven't for 18 months or 24 months or whatever the case may be, hopefully you can reignite that, you know, kind of a passion point of like, oh my gosh, this is why I missed this. And this is why it's so important because you can't really, you can't strip that away for too long. I think both from a performer perspective and from an audience perspective, you need to be able to kind of feed off that energy um, totally. and, and really make that connection, you know, um, seeing music live, yeah. you know, really solidifies a relationship with that artist, I think, uh, from a fan perspective. And it's like that, that has to be in place. It does. And I think, I think a lot of people, you know, took all of that for granted and now coming mm-hmm. out of, you know, not the pandemic is nowhere near over, but Right. things getting a little safer us figuring out how to navigate through things safely and people being able to have those experiences again are yeah all the more rewarding from what you know like everything i've heard and and then i think for the artists too you know you kind of you know like the i think the touring cycle for a lot of artists especially was maybe too much you know it was like kind mm-hmm. of this hamster wheel type thing where you just like tour tour you know go back to those same cities and there's not really this ability to take a break and you know like you know decompress and the pandemic i think has hopefully like put some other things into perspective like you know people's like mental health awareness awareness um spiritual awareness more into more into you know like focus of you know people needing that time and and um not having to be on the road or in front of people at all times and i think though that a lot of artists you know now have really missed that they have that capacity to just kind of like play a show whenever and you know and like connect with Mm -hmm. people or get paid and and then when that's taken away it's something that always seemed like you know when you become a booking agent it's a it's a pretty like it's a pretty obvious um career path that people are going to want to see live music probably for no matter what you know like and like and it's and it's and like most artists perform for most of their careers you know they they mm-hmm. they don't retire from performing live um, until very late in life and so it's something that always seems very tangible and like a you know like a very important you know like you know obvious like this this is you know gonna be around in the music industry and then that was just taken away for almost two years and so i think we all are like very grateful and you know um behind the scenes and you know out there and you know in in the audience like for for this opportunity and you know and so hopefully everyone will be like really like respectful of all that and that's why there's all these like stricter protocols so that this can keep happening you know and can evolve into something that you know does just feel a lot safer and you know and i do i do really think 2022 because like you were saying these these measures are going into place you know late summer into fall you know like people are figuring out like you know this is really what it's going to have to be even though Mm -hmm. you know a lot of the population is vaccinated. This is what it's going to have to be like running shows. You know, it's a whole other level of like, you know, attention that you have to put to uh, organizing an event, like, you know, all the COVID protocols, you know, the band's COVID protocols, the venue, the staff, you know, it's, it's, it's you know, it's like a whole, you know, like it's, it's a lot, um, you know, and this whole other responsibility, but it is sort of like the path to kind of having this be like a lasting you know, development that, you know, like mm-hmm. this, we're not going to like have this disappear again, hopefully, you know? And, um, so yeah, we'll see, but I, I'm feeling more optimistic, but definitely it's, you know, it's, it's intense, you know, it's a lot every day. You don't know what, what's to come and everyone has different levels of what they feel is safe. Like, you know, like I, I had said, I haven't gone to a show and, um, you know, yet and, and don't feel comfortable with going to one indoors because of I, having a small child still, yeah. um, you know, like, but, um, you know, like, but I think it, it, I know a lot of artists that have been able to navigate through it safely and, um, you know, and, 
and come out of it without COVID and without a super spreader event. So I do think that's, um, that's, that's, you know, going to get better and better, you know, as long as everyone's like really respectful of like the reasons we're, you know, like we're having to do these things. And, and that, you know, gives me hope and, you know, like the music industry as a whole and, you know, and in, and in, you know, humanity too. (laughs) So it's, yeah. And I, and I think like, you know, for me as a parent, um, you know, like, which is now like, you know, like this, you know, like very, you know, it's like my most fulfilling, you know, role in life now to be a mother to my son, Lawrence. It's, you know, like the pandemic has allowed me to kind of really like not feel the outside pressures of having to like, go to this, go to this, go to this, go to this, which, you know, has actually been really nice to kind of like, get a recalibrate, you know, I've been busy this whole time, but um, because I have been, you know, working this whole time, but also, um, you know, like, I know a lot of people that have small children or just needed time to like recalibrate have found this time, you know, like very, um, you know, very rewarding and a time of peace, you know, you know, went on a little too long. You know, I think no one needed that long of a break right. from, from seeing, you know, people and in, in the outside pressures, but, um, you know, and I do hope the music industry as a whole will kind of, you know, like, I don't know, just be more thoughtful of everyone's like personal experiences, mm-hmm. be more mindful of, of all of that. You know, I, I definitely think when it comes to people in the music industry, having children, people are a lot more understanding of like schedules and, you know, like, and if things are interrupted and stuff, which is something I appreciate now as a, a mom of a small child. And, um, but yeah, I think, I think things have gotten, even though you're not seeing people, things have gotten a lot more personal, <laughs> like, yeah. Um, because people just are all going through this thing together. No one's like going through right. this alone and their circumstances may be different, but I just feel like every time I've talked to a promoter, I think people are starved for that sort of like communication, even if it's like so many people want to do zoom, even though it's not fully necessary to see someone, you know, because <laughs> they want to have that like connection still, even now, like as people are, most people are starting to see a lot more people out in you know, in real life and, you know, and, th- and that, that personal nature, even though it's like virtual, um, that has been added is, you know, is, is, is really comforting. You know, I feel like I've gotten to know a lot more about people that I work with that are far away and, you know, and, and locally through this, um, you know, people asking more personal questions, people being honest about how they're doing, you don't always have to be doing great, you know, like it's, you know, it's, yeah, it, it is, it is, it is comforting. Um, yeah. Cause it is something we've had to work through together, um, in so many different ways. And, you know, and so that, that, that's, you know, that's been one thing that hopefully will continue to evolve in a positive, a positive way. Yeah, no, I completely agree. The universal component of, you know, the, I guess, ongoing, um, you know, challenges that we face, whether personal or professional, is something we all can relate to and support each other in uh, and be patient and kind with each other in a way that, um, you know, hopefully makes uh, circumstances better for everyone. Um, and that wouldn't have, you know, always been the case, uh, prior to the disruption of what this has caused, you know, uh, and that's putting it mildly, but, uh, it, you know, I think as, as it prolongs, uh, and involves itself, hopefully there's more opportunity and, you know, I, I just think of your comment about, you know, getting to spend more time with your son, Lawrence. And, you know, I know a lot of other people mentioned that too. Um, and I felt that as well, you know, it definitely causes you to kind of pause and reconsider prioritize and whatnot. And, you know, for all the things that they're missing, you know, whether it's social interaction, school, whatever, you know, at least there's, a, you know, some other positive things to kind of come out of it. And I think, yeah, I think hopefully we can continue to kind of look a little bit more, you know, 
glass half full instead of empty in general as an industry uh, in a society. Cause totally. it's, it's challenging. You can't deny that, but there is good work to be done and good opportunities to, to come out of it. So uh, this has been so much fun. Thank you for taking the time to chat through all this. Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, it's been lovely. Cool. Before we go, I wanted to throw a handful of just kind of standard questions out because it's always good to get uh, in, in here about uh, other uh, aspects that, you know, probably maybe carved uh, certain elements of your life out and just things you're into. So uh, to start with, what is the first record or, you know, I guess maybe even artist, uh, that just really resonated with you that kind of just kind of lit you up and you fell in love with? Um, the first, I mean, I think on, a, on like all levels, probably Jonathan Richmond, mm. like his That's solo, great. his solo, his solo stuff and, and modern lovers, but especially his, his solo stuff. And he, he's an artist that I, um, I, you know, don't work with, I've gone to work with him in different capacities, especially because Mac and him have played some dates together and are going to do more dates together. I am, um, oh, cool. but you know, I've seen him the most out of, you know, anyone outside of the roster I work with. I think I've seen Jonathan play like 15 <laughs> times live. And, um, you know, he's he got serenaded once at like, a by him in a bar, like with just me and a friend in San Francisco. And he was, he was waiting to set up and play some, um, green party event in San Francisco. And I lived there and yeah, just like some really, magical moments with him but he was he was he was an early discovery that i think has kind of stuck with me um in various ways and i just you know he's when i see him he's still like can bring me to tears live and get goosebumps and yeah you know, he's is, kind of frozen in nice. time yeah i mean mm-hmm. he's just he is who he's been and you know uh, i think his whole career and still brings out all those emotions you know uh, and is every every bit as good as he was at any point in his career too still that consistency is is uh impressive yeah i mean thank thankfully there's people like that from that era that i mean there's a bunch of people come to mind um in in similar circumstances that are just out there still doing what they do loving it and being just as equally as good as they always have been um that's super encouraging uh to always see um well what was the first concert you went to the first concert I went to, um, I feel like the first one that I can't remember, probably this probably wasn't the first, first one, but I think the first one that I was like 14 and I saw, um, <laughs> Turbo, Turbo Negro at, um, this, uh, venue in Eureka called the Vista, mm. okay. but I was, I was probably like 15. I don't know if you know that, like, um, kind of like rock glam rock metal band, but, um, yeah, they have like. You know, pentagrams on their artwork and stuff and i think as a 14 year old i just i just thought it was so wild you know like yeah. and i you know and i i think their album is called was called ask cobra <laughs> like <laughs> you know like it was just but it was just it was definitely like not something i listened to all the time but i just went and saw them play when i was yeah like yeah i must have been like 15 um at this venue in Eureka. it was it was a venue called um jefe's that jefe from no effects owned in eureka oh, okay. and um yeah, but it was just like such a crazy live experience and, um, you know, kind of like rocked my world. And I remember buying the CD and putting the artwork up, even though it was like kind of like insane, but also probably doing it to just be like rebellious, you right. know, like I, I think I got the shirt that had like a pentagram on it and stuff. But that was, yeah, I think it was probably like, yeah, probably like 15 when I saw when I went to see that show. But that kind of like when you said I 
when you said first concert, that kind of stuck out as the one that I first really remember being like, whoa. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, they always leave a, a, an impression for sure. Um, and usually is kind of, you know, kind of sparks that itch of like, oh my gosh, I need to do this more often. I need to be, yeah. you know, that needs to be a part of my, my routine. Um, yeah, that's one thing I, I miss. Like, I don't know about you. And you mentioned going out and seeing shows, but I mean... It was weird until last year. It was the first time I'd ever like not had a show on my schedule, like something on the horizon that I knew I was going to go see. And that was a really weird feeling, you know, <laughs> to kind of yeah, land it, on. It, it is. It is weird. I mean, I think having since having a kid, I when I was, you know, I, I did attend um, a couple of the Bikini Kill, Kill shows that I that I booked in L.A., like very pregnant. I think it was like eight months pregnant at those shows in mm. 2019. Um, but I, you know, like since pre-pandemic, since having my kid, I definitely only went to like a couple shows cause I was still navigating, like going out and having a kid. Um, but back to when I first started going to shows, I am, um, you know, I lived in Eureka, a really you know, small town. And, um, but I would go to San Francisco to see shows at like mm. the Fillmore and a couple other venues. And, um, yeah, and I, one, I just remember going to the, I think it was a Fillmore and I remember meeting, this um girl in the audience who was older than me and talking to her and she had been like telling me that she had seen 500 concerts and i was like that's so cool like i i can't even <laughs> imagine seeing that many concerts and i was so impressed and um you know because you that back then you would just like meet people i went to the show by myself i think it was like weezer or like radiohead or something and uh and, uh, you know, and I remember being like, oh, I want to be just like her. And now I can't <laughs> even imagine counting how many shows I've right. been to, you know, definitely way, you know, beyond 500 but it was just funny like that young that young like adolescent just being in such awe of, of that thing that's so cool and it's so funny that it even came up you know like that's such a like funny thing to like tell someone like i've been to 500 concerts you know but it, you know it's, but i but it, it struck me when i was that like when i was like 16 i was like that i want to be like you <laughs> yeah yeah oh, that's hilarious my son is a way into uh comic books he's 12 and he creates and and uh, and draws and he's cool. really talented. But he has over a thousand comic books now, and he counts them on like oh, like once a month he'll recount all of them. And, you know, he'll go on a binge and pick up twenty one weekend. And, you know, part of me is like, I guess I was the same way. I would go to like a record store and buy like you know ten or fifteen CDs and go home and devour them. You know, as a kid, and you know my my record collection, music collection was I was equally as proud of. Um, it's nice when you find that thing that kind of sets in for you uh, and you can, t you know, you can just be unabashedly proud of all the time. Um, so what was the last show you saw? I apparently haven't seen one since the pandemic for, for safety reasons and stuff, but was there a moment before uh, all this set in that? Yeah. The, recall? that, that one is easy for me to remember because I remember I was supposed to go to a show before um, the pandemic not knowing there was going to be a pandemic, but um, I missed that show. It was Ezra Furman was in LA and I, I work with her oh, and I was wow. supposed to go to that show. But, but that is really sad to me that I didn't get to go to that show, but I actually um, had felt sick for the first time ever, not with COVID, I think just the cold and I hadn't been sick and mm -hmm. didn't want to get my kids sick. But um, the last show I went to was um, the Valentine's day show that I organized every year for Planned Parenthood on um, this thing called village of love. And that's a pretty monumental show to have been the last show, but it's when we'd um, I would organize and I did it virtually, or I did something virtually for Planned Parenthood. But it, anyways, we would have um, like 15 or 17 artists, like over 15 artists come and do covers of their favorite love songs oh, or some of their cool. favorite songs. And all the all the money, all the proceeds go to Planned Parenthood. And I 
host a raffle from on stage. And um, that was the last show I was at in LA um, in February 14th, 2020. And, um, and also was like running the whole thing, like um, hosting it from stage. But that was um, the last concert. And I, I I can't fully remember who played, I think Ty played and Rodrigo Amarante played and um yeah it's been a long time but it but it was like a collection of a bunch of different artists doing covers and it was um wise blood played and uh but yeah it was um the flyers somewhere i just it's been so long i can't remember who was on it but it, it was really fun but i was running around um hosting it doing the raffle making sure everyone was on time stage managing and um yeah and, and that was um probably the longest i was actually out of the house since having a kid too um organizing <laughs> organizing that show at, at night or in in general um right. but yeah but that was a really special one and anywhere and we did we did them all over the country i think we had them in five different cities and um raised like i think it was like 60 grand or something for plant oh, parenthood so awesome. through all the yeah. events yeah so because i started doing that in new york with this dj jonathan tobin and um and now do it you know try to do it every valentine's day when we can yeah that's fantastic um yeah what a good way to go out good memory to have yeah it, it was i think i think learning that <laughs> learning that there was a pandemic that had been already happening <laughs> and then realizing like oh wow i was out surrounded by so many people it was a little kind of like crazy to think about you know but we were also flying um um at that time too with our kid and you know and, and we were fine you know like so you know that was you know but then you know like i think it was march when everything shut down you know yeah. and um yeah, so it was a full like few weeks before that. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned your your stretch of showcases at South by Southwest. I mean, I remember literally the week before South by Southwest going, "Should we go? Is it going to happen? I don't know." Oh yeah, should I fly? Should I drive? And then the fact that it didn't happen was like, I think the jarring, at least within the industry, kind of like the reality of like, oh, this is something we have to take seriously. And of course, I think most people, the NBA, when the NBA stopped doing shows, then or games it was like oh gosh this is real. yeah but still no. it was still jarring all of that you know to think about all that happening literally within i don't know the exact number of days but it certainly wasn't much more than a week you know uh probably less than that is just it's hard to even fathom still totally i was supposed to go to south by to do um to speak on a and a panel wasn't an official panel, but it was for an international festival. And I remember being so nervous about even just leaving my kid for like, originally we were maybe all going to go. And then it was like, no, why would we do that? I'll just go. And then, um, yeah, is it happening? Same thing as you, like, is it happening? Is it not happening? And then, oh, it's not happening. Okay. The answer is, you know, has been made for if I do go or not and, um, and how long I stay. And then, yeah, all of a sudden, like the whole world, (laughs) you know, like shut down and it was, yes you know, and then, um, and no one, no one would have foreseen where we would be now, uh, right. <laughs> today, like, uh, like a couple of weeks before South by shut down, I had to, um, you know, like probably a month before, you know, Mac DeMarco was supposed to tour in, in Japan and Asia and, um, oh, okay. you know, and it was like, and it had been very like COVID COVID centric, you know, worries there. Um, so we canceled mm-hmm. that tour, not imagining that, everything in the world would be canceled because of this, you know, it was kind of like, Oh, we probably shouldn't go there because of the, you know, the outbreak there, not thinking that, not, you know, how could we have known what would happen in a month or so? So. uh. 
Yeah, that's insane. Uh, well, just a couple more questions. We can keep them quick. Um, what's something, it doesn't have to necessarily be something you're working with, but just what's something you've heard lately that just really, again, kind of lit you up a little bit musically? Um, just trying to say the first things that come to mind. So, um, sure. they're the Sharon Vanette and Angel Olsen, the, oh, yeah. the collaboration. It's um, so good. What's that name of that song? I can't. Uh, even, like we used to, um, I think. Like yeah, like, like we that. used to. Yeah, something. Yeah, something like that. Um, I um have like kind of like um mom exhausted brain sometimes when some when you're, someone asks me to at, like answer a question oh, like that like what what what's the name of this what's the name of that like someone asked me in the name of a potty training book the other day and I was like uh something with the word <laughs> crap in it you know right. like that's yeah you know, just like yeah like yeah so and it, and it did have it in but that um but yeah that um Sharon Bennett and Angel Olsen song I really you know I really love and it's and I, I don't work with either one of them in, in any capacity. So, um, but I've, I've really enjoyed that song, both versions of it too, which is, which is cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. I mean, I, I'm a fan of them both. And when that came out, I just remember being like, wow, this is not only is this a great collaboration, it's just a really great song. You it's know? such a good song. Yeah. yeah. It, I remember my, my partner, Chris, telling me about Sharon's song 17 and like being mm-hmm. like, you have to listen to this song. You have to watch this video. And um, yeah, I'm just really like falling in love with it. So seeing the two of them collaborate on this song and hearing that song, it's just, um, yeah, it's, it's so powerful. Yeah. there's. I mean, that's one thing that's been great over the last several years. I mean, there's, there seems to be more collaborations in general of, you know, like musical peers, if you will. Um, and, and, you know, I mean, I guess that's always been a case in hip hop and, and R&B, but it's great to see it kind of uh, be more commonplace in other genres now too. Um, something was missing, I think, for a while. Um, well, what's something you like to do outside of music that, that kind of lights you up and brings you joy? Um, beyond spending, you know, spending time with my son, um, you know, anything with him is, is super fun, you know, with the family, especially. But one of the things that we've been doing a lot that has been just really nice that we've been able to find a way to do it safely is just going to the beach and being outdoors oh, nice. together has been really nice at the beach, but that, you know, and, and, um, you know, my, my son really loves music too, you know, like, and so it's cool cause there's a lot of music in our household and, you know, we just, something that we do when we're not at the beach or we've done on the beach is just dance, you know, just getting to oh. dance. Um, you know, like, but I guess that kind of involves music, but yeah, definitely like the beach has been a very healing, you know, place for us throughout all of this. And, um, and something that I think all three of us in our family really love and cherish. So we've tried to make um, family beach trips a very um, mandatory excursion, <laughs> like every week when we can. Yeah, that's great. I mean, yeah, considering, you know, so many of us have been locked at home on video screens, you know, trying to do the work that we can uh, or trying to go to school or whatever. Um, yeah, being the, yeah, I, an, another good byproduct if you're looking for silver linings is it does seem like the, you know, the, the pandemic and, and COVID have forced people outside a little bit more and then totally. to the point where they enjoy it in a different kind of way. And I think that is a really healthy thing for uh, society as a whole too. So um, that's great to hear. Well, thank you so much. Really appreciate this, Michelle. This was yeah, a lot of fun. Thank you. Yeah, this has been really fun. Um, thank you for inviting me to do this. 
I want to thank Michelle for taking the time to chat today. As always, if you're inclined, please rate us, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Tough Love Pod. That's T-O-U-G-H-L-O-V-E-P-O-D. And above all, share this podcast with your friends and fellow music industry and artist communities. If you'd like to get in touch, drop me a line at chris at toughlovepod.com. That's C-H-R-I-S at T-O-U-G-H-L-O-V-E-P-O-D.com. For now, be well, trip up, get back up, and let's all learn as we go. Until next time.